0: Hello, my name's John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Nick Mulvey and Dan Carey to talk about how the album First Mind was recorded and produced. Nick Mulvey is a singer-songwriter originally from Cambridge in the UK who has released two acclaimed albums and toured the globe gaining worldwide recognition for his innovative musical style. At the age of 19 Nick moved to Havana to study music and art. On returning to the UK, he enrolled at the London School of African Studies, where he studied ethnomusicology. It was here that Nick made friends with Jack Wiley and Milo Fitzpatrick, who alongside school friend Duncan Bellamy formed the Portico Quartet. They went from busking on London's South Bank as students, to being nominated for the Mercury Prize for their debut album Knee Deep in the North Sea. In 2011, after playing Hang for Portico for a few years, Nick found himself missing his first musical love, the guitar, and decided to leave the group and embark on a solo career. Nick's full-length debut, First Mind, arrived in 2014 on Fiction Records, produced and recorded by Dan Carey. It became a top 10 album in the UK and was also nominated for the Mercury Prize. His second album, Wake Up Now, was recorded live in the studio with his band and producer Ethan Johns, before Nick decided to go back to Dan Carey for the finishing Electronic Touches. Dancing for the Answers, a four-track EP, followed in 2018. Dan Carey is a London-based multi-instrumentalist, producer, writer and mixer who has worked with a staggering variety of artists over the years. He has collaborated with everyone from the likes of Sia, Kylie Minogue and Christine Aguilera to The Kills, Ye Sayer and Franz Ferdinand. From CSS, Hot Chip and Santi Gold to Block Party, Bat for Lashes and Emiliana Torini. Most recently, Dan has been writing and producing with Kate Tempest and Fontaine's DC. Dan also continues to pave the way for new artists on his own label, Speedy Wonderground, with recent debuts by Black Midi, Squid and Black Country New Road. Today I'm here with Nick and Dan at Dan's home studio in Streatham to talk about how First Mind was recorded and produced and what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record.
1: If you see old nitrous man Selling laughter from a can Go tell him that the dream still fits the plan And that's why we're waiting at the table Yes, he's welcome at the stand And I won't mind The moment you can say That you saw in a dream How you can let me know Any way that you've seen a day With no more to pay When trouble came in droves But we drove it away Ah, we get, we get mad with no words to say We get mad waiting
0: It is Nitrous by Nick Mulvey from the First Mind album, and I'm here with Nick and Dan at Dan's studio in Streatham, Mr. Dan's studio, to talk about the album that Nitrous is on, First Mind, recorded and produced here in this very room. And this room, Nick and Dan, I must say, we've got to talk about this room because it's just such an extraordinary room. So many different things in it, so many different instruments, so many different recording desks. Um, and so many different things hanging from the ceiling. The soundproofing looks like upturned bed frames. With <laughs> How did you make those?
2: They're, they're just bass traps. They're big boxes of air with um, foam on, and a friend of mine who's an upholsterer covered them. Right. That's why they look cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: they look really good. Like you could turn them and then just lie down and have a nice yeah. sleep. Um, when did you first come to this room, Nick?
3: Well, it must have been like, I mean, I first met you in this space, Dan. Yeah. And it was after I'd signed the record deal, but it was in the very early stages of what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? Who, you know, meeting collaborators, potential collaborators. So like, yeah. could have been something like January, February, 2013. Yeah. We met in here. We had a good chat. We found loads in common. And then we came to do a f- like first preliminary recordings, Easter-ish. Yeah.
2: And wasn't that didn't we do fever to the form Very just much that so. was the first thing we did wasn't it we just totally. first right. day, yeah and yeah.
0: and the because the fever to the form e p came out before the album exactly and that was recorded here that was it so it was, well the fever to the form e p was the result of
3: um a series of recordings I did with different people in different studios as I was finding my feet with how I wanted to work and who I wanted to work with and Although there was lots I loved about those different recordings, and different producers like Fever to the Form, as we'll go on to talk about, like totally led the way and, and, and like working with Dan was a no brainer from that. And so it was September of 2013 that we then started recording the record. I'm looking across at Dan yeah, <laughs> yeah. thinking, uh, yeah.
2: My memory I, for dates is so bad.
3: Yeah. Cause yeah. Then it eventually came out May 2014. Right. So it mostly happened in 2013.
0: But you met and started working together in January, February 2013. And that first song you started working on was Fever to the Form. Started mm. to record it at that point.
3: I, I found myself sort of thinking that we'd we made it by lunchtime. And yeah. just <laughs> I, I think it did it take was, a day. It, it took
2: a day. No, it took a day. And then didn't we come back to it and have Liam put the drums
0: on at the end? That was the second next, session. Next day, yeah. A couple next of days day. later, yeah. Right. So, what? Do, how did you start working on the song? You know, because obviously, you had the song. You you had an idea of what you wanted to sound like as well, in your yeah. mind. Yeah,
3: I had quite a few key kind of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of methods or ideas that I knew would define like how I wanted to work. Obviously, I write the songs on an acoustic instrument. Um, and you
2: first played it to me on the ukulele. Didn't you?
3: It was written on the ukulele, fever to deform. But then one of those sort of key founding ideas of how I wanted to work was that I didn't want to use too many sort of predictable acoustic instruments, you know, so if I, if I would think of a string line, it's kind of a string line, um, Dan totally understood when I explained it to him that we wouldn't necessarily use strings, we would use some very nice warm analog synths. Um, it's not, you know, reinventing anything, but it was just a kind of benchmark of how it was not too trad.
2: It didn't want it to sound too. Yeah.
3: And I l- had a lot of influence from electronic music and I wanted that to have a presence in the song. Mm. But yeah, the song was originally written at the ukulele, which I would have showed you in those first sessions, mm. I imagine. Yeah,
2: well, you played the whole thing a few times and we we made some tiny little changes to the arrangement.
3: Except I, I didn't have the third verse, and this is jumping in there, but um, it's a really nice feature of this song. I, I take it as something quite special, that when the song was rolling, and we can start at the beginning in a second, but... And I knew I needed some more lyrics, which I didn't know before we started. And you had been recording with Willie Mason, the singer Willie Mason, and he was staying here and he was upstairs. And I had this line because you were never empty, and we've been here before. And then the line goes on to say because that was always plenty singing fevers of the form. And I had the empty half of it, and I went upstairs and I said to the kitchen, which is above this room, and Willie Mason was in there being sort of serene and you know, having some toast or something. And I said, Willie, what rhymes with empty? And he just was like, plenty. And I was like, beautiful. Because they are siblings. <laughs> yeah, And they rhyme, they're sibling words, sort of empty and plenty. And I just was like, thanks, ran back downstairs and he cast his little magic on the song. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so playing the song to Dan on the ukulele, did that mean, right, we have to record this ukulele and we're going to do this song on a ukulele? But, or at the same time as saying that to Dan, you said, but I'm not going to play it on ukulele. Yeah, I think
2: that's that's what you were getting at. Like, There's, a, I guess, a temptation. If you've played something on a ukulele, it carries with it a certain amount of baggage, or it might do. I mean, I yeah. don't think it does for everyone, but I think Nick was quite careful to be, you know, to say this isn't necessarily a ukulele song. And then it was interesting because remember I wanted to start with the drum machine and and you were like, well, that might be going a bit far (laughs) (laughs) because I made this beat and it was just, it was the most mechanical ploddy thing you could. I mean, obviously, because it was, it was really just instead of playing to a click, Mm. but it did actually, it stays in the track as the main drum beat up until a certain point, but it literally just goes. And, and I remember it, you're like is this going to be okay though because it's not very human and I was like yeah no it'll be okay and then so we it probably got us off on quite a good footing because we started with something that's so far from a ukulele yeah that it then built up a kind of there's a lot of space in between those two things but yeah we did start yeah with the kicker snare and the ukulele put that down and then no the, but it's
3: not a uke is it because I oh we
2: then no we did it we did it on I, the guitar
3: and we put the uh, uke over it oh so we did put no, the uke no yeah in. look probably, right, yeah. of course we did right so By that point, I had realised that I didn't think I wanted the song to be based in the
0: ukulele. Yeah. That's the ukulele sound. So that was, apart from the drum beat, that was the first thing you recorded. Well, no, I think that what
2: we've realised is that, in fact, the first. So that's the guitar playing what was the ukulele part over over the. Over the simple rhythm that
0: you put down. But you felt we need a pulse. We need something to play along with, just to kind of give it a little bit to give it a slightly
2: more mechanical Mm. edge, because we we were fairly sure that we wanted to layer it quite a bit, and we were we were doing it all on tape. We were playing to analog tape, so there's no way you can quantize anything and edit stuff in the way that you can when you're doing it in the computer. So just in my experience, if you go off without any kind of click onto tape, it can turn into mayhem once you've put down a few parts, if there's anything that's a bit out. And if you can't decide what your reference point is, it's um, it just gets difficult to get the timing right. So I just thought it was good if there was a real clunky thing yeah. that we could all follow and use as a metronome.
0: So you're recording it to multi-track tape? Yeah. And you're playing that now from the digital... Well, yeah, I mean, because... Uh, it's a
2: 16-track tape, so for a start, once you're full up, you kind of, unless you want to bounce things down on the tape, which is a bit laborious, I find it best to just transfer into the computer and then mm. add on to it. But I try to do that as late as possible and avoid the temptation to start fucking around with it in a way that, you know, so it still sounds like that kind of recording. I mean, obviously, there are, you know, we've edited bits. but Yeah,
0: but you're not doing it simultaneously. You're not, you're not recording to tape and recording to digital at the same time. No. No. Um, and was that a priority of yours? Did you want to record to tape?
1: I think I would have been drawn
3: to it, um, but I can't remember now any strong feeling either way. Mm. You might remember, Dan. I, th- I think it... Uh, or maybe there was a, there was something along the lines of, we wanted to record to tape, not necessarily because we were like enamoured with some vintage sound, as much as, uh, obviously, tape encourages a methodology you know a commitment to the performance it's just more tricky to go back you know every time you want to go back and redo a a take with tape you have to literally you have this maybe 8 seconds 4 seconds 30 seconds of rewinding don't you Mm. which introduces and and you're necessarily
2: recording over what you just did so you have to really decide that that wasn't good enough and this will be better and it's a bit of pressure which I think is is healthy especially after I'd heard Nick play um I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who's so precise with what they're doing that they only, on the whole, ever need one take to do anything. So if I say to Nico, oh, can you just double that part an octave higher? It could be anything. he would be like, yeah, sure. And it's done. And so it, I think that if after um, any amount of time recording with him and he'd been, oh, no, no, I've nearly got it, I've nearly got it, just let me have one more go, then I wouldn't bother doing it on tape because it, it would slow the whole thing down too much. So there's, you, you have to be...
0: Precise, Yeah, and sure that they're able to do that. Mm. And when did you realise that Nick was able to do that? Fairly quickly, just, presumably. Yeah, within like half an hour of right. playing me with all the songs. Because we recorded... Do you
2: remember when I came to your studio? To my studio special And I yeah. re- just had my phone and I recorded a version of everything and we tried them all in different keys and different speeds yeah. and stuff. I remember we thinking... about
3: Moroccan... Right,
0: Moroccan
2: swing, yeah, backward swing. Yeah, and yeah,
0: we're like
3: <laughs> best friends
0: <laughs> from that moment. Excellent. So at this stage you've got your rudimentary rhythm track and that stayed within mm. the recording. You did the guitar pattern yeah. and then added a bit of ukulele on top of that to to fill it up. yeah. yeah. And then what else did you think you need? Because obviously you did add more. You know.
1: Yeah, I
3: mean, I, I like
0: was really inhabiting these songs, inhabiting this
3: particular one and, and these patterns. And so I kind of, Nude to, to kind of hum Or sing These other lines I wanted to come in and, and the main Relationship to them Was that If the guitar is built Out of lots of Small Rhythmical Then I knew I wanted these Long lines yeah, these like, kind of long Almost string lines
0: Right And
3: I Had most of them In my mind already It was very easy to Once Dan yeah. would go To the synth And Dan would set me up With the right sound Because he knows How to really play These synths By which I mean The Profit 5?
0: Yeah, this is the Profit, the Profit 5, yeah. No, no, Profit 8. Right. Profit 8. So when you had the initial discussion, you said these sound like they could be string lines, they could be a violin or a cello or something like that, but I don't want that because I want to connect yeah. to my interest in electronic music and electronic sounds. Yeah. So you immediately thought, right, we can use the Profit, we can use whatever exactly. is here yeah. in this room, this room which is full of Built for it. stuff. Yeah,
2: and the mellotron, I really like. Such a a mellotron clarinet. So this is, I think, this is the first overdub of that kind, isn't it?
4: Mm. And isn't this? Cause jar- I remember you were humming this.
2: Yeah. And it was a, um, it was the the old mellotron, wasn't it? The one with the the kind of mechanical one of the sixties ones, which you can hear those clicks.
3: Wasn't it Jarvis Cocker's son? Yeah. But at that, that, that time, I didn't...
2: That, well, someone had told to me...
3: <laughs>
2: no, someone had given to me, I spent three grand restoring it, but he gave it to me, telling me that it was his and I could have it. And then Jarvis Cocker rang up and said, yeah, thanks for restoring it. Can I have it back? <laughs> I'm glad it so happened. I had <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs>
0: Wow. So did he get it back?
2: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't really argue yeah. that
0: it was his. <laughs> but what about that money that you spent on... Well, yeah wow <laughs> it's amazing nine. so th- this clarinet on the Mellotron is the clarinet setting so because the the Mellotron is loads of recorded you have loads of tape, yeah. yeah
2: um yeah and I mean as I remember actually I think I got the clarinet I got you can get tape banks made up and I got a clarinet and flute set made which he's now got <laughs>
0: yeah gosh that, that's a a funny of worms. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well did I did you? I mean to be fair I had it for about three or four years yeah um so But did that leave a gaping hole in your instrument? Well, yeah, which is why I got one of those digital ones.
3: Right. So I think like we had, I tell you what, before we put these layers in these long lines, we would have done a vocal take, wouldn't we? Because the song being so simple harmonically and just repetitive, like a lot of my music, it works in layers, bringing in Mm -hmm. layers at the right points. And and we don't develop because of like clever harmonic movement or something, we develop because of, the introduction of texture and the and the maybe the taking away of texture and the reintroduction of textures. That's how I kind of work as a songwriter. Yeah. Which is to say, just, that's how I listen to go up on a lot of hip hop, you know, so you could take out the, the kick drum and put the kick drum back yeah. in, make a drop, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember at which point we decided let's have full drum kit at the end but that would have been the bit that really made me realize oh okay this is a whole other to the end of this song that
0: i didn't know Mm. about
2: yet yeah because it felt like a a climate you know kind of actual turning
0: point in the song didn't it Mm. it's really interesting hearing the um and the prophet playing away in, Mm. in the background because yeah that's
2: also with the moog in it as well because
0: without the guitars or the ukulele you know they stand up on their own. Yeah. But they're a different kind of music. You no know, mm. to yeah. what you do because we associate your work Nick with you, know, you playing a guitar and a string mm-hmm. instrument even though you know your background before that was completely different again. Mm. Yeah. Cuz this could be a lovely, you know, synth trio playing together.
3: I'm very proud of these layers and the the quality of the sounds. They're very like deeply in tune with the feeling of the song and mm. uh yeah they could be strings but they're not they're more electronic they've got a, a certain heat and grit to them that i wanted and harmonium do you remember the harmonium there's a harmonium yeah. in there I'd, 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 like to that. be honest
2: i'd forgotten about that but...
3: oh yeah the, the indian totally. harmonium, yeah. and is that and you a lot playing of cluster chords in there so, so that would have been me think think that would have been you yeah. so you've
0: been swapping things around but just Who and where is available Mm. to? And
3: more often than not, on each one, because there's going, you know, there's a few different synths here. There's now the clarinet mellotron, there's this harmonium. I'm doing just like one note on each. And rather than like give a lot of information harmonically by putting other notes in, Mm. I mean, obviously that harmonium right there has got got a few more, but on the other synths, rather than giving more information harmonically, I would give it texturally by opening up the filter sweep and allow for there to be information in that kind of textual level than in more harmonic information. So each part itself is very simple, but they're all breathing together, aren't they? Mm. Giving you this great wash of emotion whilst in the middle of it, like from the beginning all the way through the middle to the end is the kind of chugging guitar. Yeah.
2: And then it was later on, isn't it, that we decided to put the... We were saying we got Liam back afterwards. And I remember that was really funny. Do you remember... Trying to encourage Liam to go crazy.
3: I wanted like quite scattered drums, like just about holding up the obligation to the beat to sort of just have enough structure. But then I wanted lots of cymbals and grace notes and scattering, kind of crashing, tumbling information. I was really it, into
0: Seb Rockford. Right. He's a yeah. drummer and his way of playing. Is he?
3: And this is Liam who?
2: Liam. Liam from Buxton, Liam Hutton.
0: Oh, uh, oh, right. Okay, yeah. right. Excellent.
2: And he, he's such a good drummer, so metronomic. Tight, metronomic but we really wanted him to go like, No Liam, come on, do another one, just go just it doesn't matter. Just you can go out of time if you want. It's okay, it's fine. Be like, oh, but, and then uh, yeah, eventually. But
3: we've we've um, put a few takes together and we'd put some of the stuff backwards and right. backwards symbols in there, didn't we as yeah, well, yeah, Dave? yeah.
0: All that And it's, so in this in Mr. Dan's studio, there is a drum kit in the corner. Would it have been in that position that Liam was playing? Yeah. Um, and on that kit, it's always that yeah, kit. Yeah,
3: totally. That hasn't changed. So till, it's so
0: well it? set up for instant use, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. For instant
0: that's, hands-on, that's this space that's entirely.
2: That's li- the, all of the synths, all of the amps are all plugged in, and if you want to start using something, you just need to know what channel it's on, and it's yeah. There. So it's
0: quite quick for that kind of thing. And that's why you've got this massive Chroma desk and yeah, another because, desk, that because you just need everything plugged yeah, in. Yeah, I and, hate patching stuff. I hate yeah. waiting for stuff to
2: be, well, I mean, I know that everyone hates, if you've got, if you're like, oh yeah, I've got this, this is really cool, to be told you have to wait 20 minutes while it's patched, I don't know, Yeah, lose interest. Yeah. Um, yeah, the moment Le- is gone. Alexis, who's my engineer, who worked on all of this stuff, he's... Integral to the thing as well. He's super, super fast, and he—he's fast, but he also listens to what. So if me and Nick are having a conversation about, I oh, can it be really good if we got the Prophet and we plugged it through. This, you know, we can just be talking on our own. He'll do that, and so then I'll go over to the Prophet, and it'll just be plugged in. It'll be recorded. You know, it's to so like, that reverb so. pedal that you right, said. Yeah, you exactly.
3: To. I mean, this studio is like a kind of living thing. It's an extension of Dan for sure, and you can't. You have to live all this stuff. It's all a response to kind of function and need, you know, that comes from deeply investigating sound and music in this space, you know. So it's kind of got a harmony to it all that you could never synthesize another way, pun intended.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting because clearly with people like Alexis around, there's an intuitive understanding of how it all works. And when to make it all work so that mm. you don't lose any time. You don't lose that moment, that inspiration, that spark, that little click that says, all oh, right, well, yeah. let's do that. And then, ah, oh, Alexis is sorted out. We can mm-hmm. just immediately use it. No time is wasted and yeah. no, no ideas are lost. No exactly, opportunities exactly, yeah. are lost.
3: Yeah, I mean, we get going in here, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that recording is, you know, ideally, and certainly in our experience, like a quite heightened state and you just got so much creativity coming. But like, We've been so creative in this space, yeah. like just by my measures or whatever, just like real inspiration, just like the tap is on. And that's how it was that day. I remember it being this amazing day of just like, we didn't really know what we'd done. And, and it's still to this day, this track is like my kind of... Um, blessed child you know like its birth was easy it's never (laughs) caused me any problems i've always been happy with it it's like my favorite child you know what i mean like it still feeds my kids like (laughs) now it's like always done me well this song you know and it really benefited from the fact that we didn't overthink it we were completely instinctive we worked really quickly yeah yeah it really
0: And was Liam... No, Liam came back a couple of days later after you'd done all this, but you'd established your third verse um, at that point, so you kind of knew, right, we're going to take this off with the drums, and then the third verse...
3: Yeah, or it could have even been while the drums were going down, I was pen to paper thinking, oh, I've got to get these lyrics in, and and it's now or never, and what rhymes with empty? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Can we hear that? Can we hear that moment when... You you actually sing yeah. that, if possible. So and, just... and hear that transition where suddenly it, yeah. it changes.
1: Maybe I thought it before Maybe that's why
4: I'm
0: What are those bits that are panning from ear to ear? That's another prophet Prophet's in right
1: Won't you hear me at your
3: so hear the drums now
1: you never...
3: this is obviously the lead vocal without all the octave doubles and,
1: and we've been here before yes we've been here before and that, and that was good. always planned
2: and the mellotron string
1: and
2: that's it that's actually everything playing
3: So many layers I've forgotten. Yeah. The shaker. Yeah. Um, by the end, you know, having been restrained and restrained and restrained, you know, for the whole song, I could kind of tell that, like, there's a kind of liberty that can be taken in that last fifth of the song, whatever, where it's just like, all right, we can chuck in those top, top strings and let's be epic for that release at the end. Yeah. And there's a lot more, like, octaves on the vocal that aren't in there that really provide a lot of that emotion. Uh, yeah,
2: I was on hear one of us is saying. <laughs> I
3: did a mistake at the beginning of it. I did a mistake at the beginning <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whatever that is. Would you have redone that mistake? Probably not. No. I mean, that does sound great. I lo- it's really lovely hearing all the elements introduced one by one so, or two yeah. by two, just uh, building up in that way that would have taken you a, a few hours, but in one day in this room yeah, which is really exciting and, and that must have been a very exciting moment to come from a song that you're strumming on a ukulele um, that is really just an idea even though you might have played it a few times to have that idea fleshed out to this extent in such a short time in I such remember, a short space we, we, of time we
2: went to the
3: pub afterwards we were like frazzled which is like
2: just That's been insane. <laughs>
3: like, yeah. yeah, and I'm 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 enamored with that because like yeah. cause it, you're exactly right, John. It's like I had no idea, even if I knew a bit about the song and I liked it and I knew the almost all the lyrics and I knew the song, you know, mm. no idea that this was about to come with this energy and with the production choices we made. There was a kind of muscularity that was brought to the song, which I think is really important. And those low frequencies, you know, they they start by being a, on a sub bass synth added to by an electric bass in the when the drums come uh, yeah in. yeah right and then all of this yeah like this it's kind of heart mm. emotion heart energy and it's in the bones of the song when i sing it acoustically but it's really in all these additions we added in that like, really all came together
0: yeah no it's and in a way instruments like the prophet or the melotrons you know they, they bring whole worlds in mm. as they're introduced know, that, that that suddenly you could hear that whole song as, you know, you performing with an orchestra behind you. Um, but that was just done by the two of you, with a little help from Alexis, in this room, in a few hours. Um, still able to get last orders in the... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um,
3: and it's, it's a point worth making because I think people hardly ever know the insides of tracks like this. Mm. And it's easy to... Assume that Because there's that many layers or there's that much power in the sound that there's more people involved. But with the exception of drums, mostly, uh, it's always Dan and I yeah, just yeah. just playing instruments.
0: But also because um, I mean, I and I'm sure lots of other people associate Nick Mulvey as a live act, as a live performer. And I've seen you on your own. I've seen you with various different formations of bands you know that expand and contract according to w- whatever's happening. And uh, and so when I listen to the music, I think of it in those terms as well. And all those colours, all those extra bits are there, and clearly they inform the brain and and create that reaction in in one's mind and body. But because I associate you with you performing it and singing it in front of me, yeah, that um, that I always picture it that way.
2: You no, know, yeah, but that's the that's the art of um, putting something together. That however it's being constructed, really, you want to think of it as a Real tangible thing mm. that, that exists because if you th- when something's as fragmented in its construction as that, you have to sort of mix it in such a way, you have to be able to listen to it in such a way that it feels like one thing. I remember when I was a kid, you used to hear music and just always visualize it as stacks of people playing, no matter what, whatever yeah. it was. And I mean, you do hear a lot of music, actually, I hear a lot of music, and I just see a computer screen going past, I don't enjoy <laughs> it so much. I prefer it if I think it just feels
0: like. Loads of people just playing it. Yeah, and mm. um, but that seems to be something in your way of working, Dan, that you encourage because one of the reasons I was really excited about co- being able to come to Mr. Dan's studio um, was that I'd heard so much about it in various different interviews and conversations I had with people like Nick, Kate Tempest, Leanne La Le You know, telling me about experiences, toy. You know that they'd come into your studio, your world, and you would all get lost in in the music and lost in the zone of creativity. Um, the lights would go off. Maybe do you have a strobe in here? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a smoke machine? No. Yeah. yeah. You do have a machine, machine lasers. So, yeah. so I mean, and it would sound like an event, and a you know yeah. a, a real happening that was taking place when when you recorded. But you know that idea that you're able to create that in this room, as well as do all that meticulous stuff, where you can isolate bits and yeah. pieces and stitch it together, and maybe you know stick something back together that has been taken apart or whatever, you know, but... But, that's... but it's all
2: about personality, so, mm. like, the, you know, this record has Nick's personality very clearly across it, so that's what you're hearing, that's what that's why you hear it, mm. and you see him play, you know, like you say, either with the band or on his own, but everything's so particular to his style, that's why it's coherent, I think
0: that's what... Yeah, and your approach is clearly very informed by your interest in music from around the world. You know, this idea that you create, you know, circular patterns that could repeat potentially endlessly, but then you want to weave them into the songs that you've created around those patterns and bring um, the meaning that's intrinsic to the lyrics. You know, so you're creating kind of two things, aren't you, when you're mm. with your songs? You know, you're creating something that people can get lost in and hypnotized by, but also... Um, they can also find meaning and carry a and, lyric. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's always never more so than this song because like the lyrics in this song are first and foremost meant to feel right, sound right. Like just be another layer of sound and another instrument playing sound. But of course, like, you know, they are the human voice. They are the language. They are words. So they do engage with the kind of carrying meaning. Um But like, I always think of myself as the first audience member. So I'm like working at letting these words kind of like become and then I'm looking at them going, what am I singing here, you know? Sing fever to the form. I mean, fever to the form in itself, of course, is like it's not directly meaningful. It just sounded right and felt right. It does have two sort of, if not exact opposites. There is a binary to it. Fever and form, you know, chaos and order. But it's in, in these moments we we think about it, I apply my kind of thinking to it, but it it wasn't created in that way so uh although the second verse was a bit more the second verse was a relationship I've been in, and I remember thinking if I could just say one thing to this person who was leaving my life, I would say the thing that you're afraid of that you know is the dirt that you're made of is the re- and that's nothing to fear you know like the, the and the fear of it keeps you clean but not necessarily clear, I suppose. Um, we're all made of divine dirt. Amazing how that's resonated with so many people. That line, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in. As they are the sponsor of today's episode, with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organizing and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape-It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. Did you do it honestly tape it is fantastic. all of the tape notes team members are complete converts and excitingly some of our guests have started to use it as well. so I really would recommend checking it out so um having had an incredibly successful first day together here at mr Dan's studio and uh, and had a drink to recover um you reconvened you got Liam on the drums a couple of days later but um we were thinking we'd have a listen to Venus mm. um, as one yes. of the other songs to listen to from First Mind and Break Down. So where did this come? Did this come as part of that that first flowing of love between, <laughs> between well, the two of you? I all? mean,
3: as a recording, it was then... We, in, were quite,
0: we were well into
3: the... It was in September of that year, and we had time aside at least two, three weeks, I think, to go and record the album because I had 10, 12, 15 songs or something, mm. you know, maybe more actually. And... We'd done this really great first little run, which gave rise to Fever to the Form. And it was like, brilliant. Let's go and do the whole album. So
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, when we start after doing Fever to the Form, it's when we got into doing the finger picking stuff that that just started to blow my mind. How good Nick is at playing? I mean, the one April was the one that really got me, but this must have been one of the first ones that we did where we really went in on the, There was just a slightly different thing, wasn't there in the playing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was living in a shared house in East London and I would go out further east to like Upton Park where there's a Congolese community. And I would get lessons from a Congolese guitarist friend that I made there, a guy called Koele. And he would teach me these Congolese pop songs that would have a very simple left hand, C, F and G chord shapes, but always a really elegant, interweaving, independently fingered guitar parts, like very elegant interlocking lines like you're hearing now. And I would take those right hands and I would come home and then put my own left hand chords with them and start to kind of integrate this Congolese picking that I was enjoying with my own harmony in my left hand. This is a really good example. Mm.
2: The little sub rhythms.
1: It's
2: that little trill.
0: See, the temptation would be to just record this (laughs) and just put this out. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally
3: A big part of me wish we did yeah like i uh, had lived with them a long long time uh i definitely with this some of the tracks in this record weren't as blessed as fever to the form with being so fresh and so i think it's generally like the truth that the fresher you can record things the better it tends to be for ideas um and i had this was probably my third recording of this song maybe my fourth i went through a stage maybe it's typical of artists at the beginning maybe not maybe it's just me of kind of of gripping to my material like it's yeah the psychology is whatever it is it's quite interesting i was you know if if you never complete it you can't be judged or something if you never finally finish it you remain safe or something like that i went through a long demoing process and lost some of the freshness which I think one way or another might have guided me to being realising it's enough like this now what we can go into and show the layers that we then put on top mm. of this I'm very into doing that but it's, uh, it's just an interesting question to sort of be reflect and think great as it all was was it necessarily needed or, or adding more to it but at the time I, I wasn't seeing it that way and I was really excited to put down all the layers and yeah
0: yeah well i mean they're both of value aren't they they're, they're, but it always may, interests me um that when you hear something as pure as this you know and and there are many artists throughout time and this is the essence of what they do but at the same time you know if you can build on this if you can create something else that would work with it then then why not you know it's worth giving a go mm. isn't
2: it i think you know I suppose it, it was partly to do with starting with Fever to the Form. We wanted to have a consistency throughout the album, so not have half of it completely acoustic and half yeah. of it slightly electric, to try and strike a balance that would work throughout, that has definitely the guitar at the centre, but this other world kind of being introduced. Yeah. So what have we got? Oh, this is cool.
3: cool. So that's a, a Gretsch maybe going through a... Yeah, the Black Falcon. The Black Falcon Gretsch going through... What's pedals through now? that
2: filter. A filter pedal. Mutron.
1: Bring in something else next.
0: And is that you playing the Gretsch?
1: Could be yeah. either of us, actually. Yeah. Dan yeah. might
3: play that.
2: See, there's two things come in. Harmonium and piano.
0: And so when you're playing these parts, you've recorded your guitar part on the 16-track tape, and you're playing that back and then trying these things out on other tracks. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we just get going. Yeah. Like, so there's the a the guitar first there. Idea. Yeah.
3: And then there's a track called Cups, which I'm guessing is oh, well, that's what well, I love, like, yeah, because one of the key features of this song is that in the journey of like the, the preceding months up getting these songs together, I'd met a collaborator called Shazad Ismaili who's a New York-based musician, producer, and has worked a lot with Damien Rice and Tuneyards and uh, Saint Vincent. And he has a studio called uh, Figure Eight in uh, Brooklyn. And.
2: Uh, That's right. This is him with all the bits of metal in the cups.
3: Not, yeah. What I love about it is Shazad. We flew Shazad in. Shazad put down some synths, some uh, drums. He played all the drums on the record (laughs) except for Liam's part on Fever to the Form. And at this point, we'd collected so many cups of tea in the studio that never made it back up to the kitchen (laughs) that they were taking up all the surfaces. Shazad, he's a very creative guy. Like, he's a consummate recording musician. He just comes in and he just gives you, like, he just starts recording. So he, before I'd noticed it, collect them all on the tray on his lap, <laughs> and here they are, with a very light drumstick. The chopsticks, maybe. Chopsticks. <laughs> and they occupy totally their own frequency, right at the top range. Yeah. That's very Dan Carey that sound <laughs> to me. To me, that's that's so Dan.
0: And how much of the cups remains on the record? You know, to, 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 how much does it take up? Is it just one little section? I think they're that...
3: like they stay in once they're in, mm. and they had an extra elevation at the second chorus or something like that. You know, they, we had, we wouldn't have played them from the start, mm. and they would be quite subliminal, but kind of it, it feels like it's all kind of grooving and building. Because of these kind of things Yeah. That enter.
1: Venus comes to share, she's standing there. She plaits her hair with threads of gold. Can you hear the cups at Choose the top? Yes. Yeah. Also, this line. I'm up on a chair with a badge in the air,
2: keeping out the cold. I remember asking cold. you, what does it mean, I'm up on a chair with a badge in the air? I, the, because of the nature of the song and everything, I was like, I'm up on a chair with a badge in the air, keeping out the cold yeah Yeah, what does it mean
3: nick yeah well i um my curtains were broken and, and my curtain rail was broken in the room i lived in then and so i'd to keep the curtains together i had a badge that i would like plug together that i had to get up on a chair and pin the curtains together and um that made a girlfriend at the time really laugh and the song is definitely drawn from that time and that relationship and that's just the detail of the inner world of that it sounds more symbolic sounds something different I don't know what it sounds like but it's literally I'm on a a chair with a badge in the air keeping out the cold yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: great Uh, yeah I mean
3: lyrically again it's uh, one of those ones where you know I'm finding out secondarily what the meaning is you know so I went down but I did live near the River Lee in East London and I would go down to it perhaps get quite stoned and have my best ideas (laughs) and uh, so the song says I went down to the river yesterday to see just what she'd say she said you best believe that the better reprieve is always on its way find an anchor made of stone and follow me to the sea you best believe that a better reprieve is where it's meant to be now this is a really good example because having then like written that I thought oh well I should look up the word reprieve because I'm singing it and I'm amazed to find then that reprieve means three things, all of which really resonate. First of all, it means a sense of peace. So the river is speaking, with saying, you know, you, there's a certain degree of faith. It's talking about faith, isn't it? You know. Um, the second meaning is uh, it, it's less relevant, but it's um, used in the law of, in the court of law, meaning someone would uh, not get executed. All right, that's loosely relevant but you know felt right the third one is amazingly relevant it means it's an old musical word for chorus so at that moment in the song you best believe that the better reprieve is always on its way i see venus comes to share and in comes the chorus it's a joy to have these moments to be able to share my completely nerdy (laughs) inner 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 lines you know no one ever gets that but i was just like it worked on every level (laughs) forever (laughs) and uh yes the reprieve means chorus and then in comes the chorus and then uh,
0: have we heard that bit yet where the chorus comes in and we don't or maybe we should hear it again do the
3: first
1: verse i went down to the river yesterday to see just what she'd say Said you best believe that the better reprieve is always on its way. Find an anchor made a stone and follow me to the sea. I said you best believe that the better reprieve is where it's meant to be.
0: So it was meant to be, wasn't it? You know, that Using that word, putting it in the place it is.
3: If you're in the science game looking for signs, then there, there was one, you know? Yeah. I think I probably was at that time. <laughs> But yeah, you know it's uh, one of my favourite songs. That one. Mm. Um, So then we get to the end of the song, and this is a story I wanted to tell because, like the guitar part, like the song Mm. goes into this like kind of like repetitive outro with this. My thumb is going (laughs) boom, 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 and then whilst that continues, the rest of the shape goes from minor here. Oh, you stopped playing it. It goes from minor to major and it just kind of is this passage and we set Shazad up on the synth and just before we're about to press go and he was about to put down these lines and a few other lines, Dan will probably click them all in now, Dan was like wait stop, switched all the lights off, pulled these chords, turned on the uh, (laughs) strobe light (laughs) and the laser (laughs) and
1: the smoke machine
3: (laughs) I think so I think he had a strobe a smoke machine and a laser going and like I didn't know I've been in the studio working in depth for two weeks I think I didn't know that those that's what those buttons did so it was like a kind of card he kept in his back pocket that just helps keep the creative process really fresh keep you really playful like it was fun as hell yeah and we did the uh the take in the dark with strobe lights (laughs) <laughs> and a laser and, and a smoke machine. Am I right and thinking yeah, all yeah. those things? Like, and so yeah, that really helped us get the feeling for those takes and like when we're rec- recording it, it's not set at the level that it is in the adventure recording, which it's not polite, but it's yeah. it's a yeah, bit I mean, more I was, yeah, exactly. I so in and and the moment the, with the strobes yeah. and the lasers, that was an enormous ungodly <laughs> sound, you know. It was yeah. Like, and it's like whoa. Um and then it gets placed in the track after that a bit. Yeah. More.
2: So this is this is the mix.
0: Right. So it's like... Yeah. But you could do a sinister a sinister mix, right? <laughs> So, I mean, you two worked on that album. It went on to be nominated for the Mercury Prize, um, one of two nominations I think you got that year, was it? Uh, Yeah. yeah, So Kate's album was nominated as well. And then you went off and toured around the world and uh, lots of people became fans of yours, Nick, and uh, you built up this amazing rapport with audiences everywhere. But then you thought about doing a second album, but you had taken yourself off to Bath or somewhere near Bath. Yeah. You were living in Wiltshire. Is it Wiltshire? Yeah, we we
3: toured the album a lot. So, you know, this was now end of 2015 and a kind of unexpected invitation came up. Me and my now wife, Isadora, were were kind of up for... I wanted to live in the countryside and come into the city frequently rather than living in the city and and going out to the countryside. I wanted to just try it and be in amongst all the plants and we moved to uh, Wiltshire. And, yeah, that's where I then started... First of all, just took a breather, a well needed break and then, um, started to develop the material that then became wake up now. Mm. And yeah, that took me on a journey. Like I, uh, one of the main kind of growth tips for me or most points of like development became about what it is to give really, really meaningful performances in the studio. I realised that some of the multi-tracking ways that I'd always worked with, which is I, you know, Dan and I layering all the stuff ourselves, was kind of, uh, in a way, inhibiting this pushing into new levels of sort of performance of really kind of finding that emotion. Like I wanted to be playing in live in a live recording is is where I'm getting to mm. with this, um, and so that desire coupled with the not wanting to leave Wiltshire led me really perfectly to Ethan Johns. And I recorded Wake Up Now with Ethan Johns, with a circle of friends, you know, in a live sort of recording session at Peter Gabriel's Real World Studios. But on the way to that becoming a reality at the end of 2016, Dan and I had a session in February 16 that was really, really special to both of us. But it never became complete and it never was, was almost not going to see the light of day or something because I'd gone on this journey of actually wanting to be out there. And... And all the while, these recordings we'd done, Dan and I together, lay dormant. And I went through the process of releasing Wake Up Now, which, you know, the recording of it and the creation of it, the writing of the songs and recording of it was generally really inspired and a joyful process. There were the ups and downs of the creative process and there were pressures, but, you know, it's a privilege to be doing it. And I really clicked into gear with some really good collaborators came in and made very much the music I wanted to make. And then the process of releasing it was almost the opposite of that. And I went through quite a strong experience. And the reason why I'm saying this is because all that process of releasing and then trying to get really difficult and having all these expectations and then them not being met and having to live my own sense of failure and then to be really kind of like delivered out the back of that, realising I'd had actually other people's senses of success or definitions of success and all that conditioning and all this stuff you saddle your muse with and get in the way of you. I had it really, really checked and... Th- really thrown up to me, and the ideas of like just success in some undefined way wasn't given to me first of all, and then gave way to like well what is my career, what is my lane in a way that I hadn't really kind of like to this depth engaged with before. and this is my journey in the last year, and the reason why I say it is because somewhere in it came this like you know we're sitting on these really great recordings and never got finished. Well, we should make time for this. I'll have some space in the beginning of 2018 and let's get together and finish those recordings. And it meant that we came back into the studio to get back into what we're about to examine next, mm. this track Dancing for the Answers and the Dancing for the Answers EP. And I had just learned a shit ton. And this is the long way, the detailed way of explaining to you that I was really different in approaching this. Recording. I don't want to speak ill of the past as if I was completely, you know, absorbed by market forces or compromised, you know, whatever. But they are insidious. They do have their kind of presence sometimes and they don't tend to really help the creative process or, you know, that's another conversation. Mm. But either way, this lived process of releasing Wake Up Now and touring it landed me in this way where I was grateful for my career, actually, in the new depths. Curious about it and fucking resolved to be respectful of my muse and my creative process and and listen to it deeply. And that's the preamble to this track now because one of the main things I realised right from the beginning was I've been trying to make this three and a half minutes long, four minutes, four and a half minutes long, and like, I don't even know how long it wants to be. It might want to be half an hour long, or it might want to be at least, let's take off that. that Yeah, it was
2: quite liberating doing it, knowing that we weren't really doing it for anyone. We were just doing it, you know, we were gonna release it. But and it's between no, no one's saying, Oh yeah, can you yeah. make sure you deliver this single at the right level? that was just yeah, we'll finish it off. I mean we'd started it with that whole mindset, hadn't we? We were just completely experimenting. You yeah, know, I like, always oh.
3: think it's worth telling the whole story because yeah. <laughs> um February twenty sixteen when you know I'm building up to what became recording the album elsewhere, but Dan and I came in here, I'd had a experience with the San Pedro cactus, a plant medicine hallucinogenic that's normally, you know, understood in a kind of ceremonial context. Um, and I had had a direct experience where it went a bit like this. These friends had come to stay and they travel and they are basically shamans. I mean, it's not like a, a job description that you always sort of say without a smile on your face, but that's what they are. And they're really good friends of ours. And they'd left me this gift of this San Pedro cactus, kind of green powder in a bag. And I had a experience with them where we took a sub-ceremonial dose and went walking and it was... Um, beautiful it was a great day out actually and then they left and uh and i had the day to myself it was the saturday and dan and i were going into the studio on the monday and i thought oh yeah one well, you know i've got 12 hours now i'll revisit that plant. anyway without the anchorage of friends it was a dance like more powerful the same sub ceremonial dose but one thing it told me was um some specific instructions for this recording that I was about to go into the monday and for this song you're about to hear there were three points i remember one of them was Scratch all your plans and my half-written material, and go in with Dan with a complete blank canvas. That was the first thing. I had like lots of material develop at that point, but it was just like, come in, you know. And I, I phrase this in a way like the plant told me, or whatever. You know, it's a mixture. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's in my subconscious, being brought out by the plant. however well, we want to sit. it? Uh, it pointed me towards this baritone ukulele that I have on the wall in my house, hanging up that I love to play on. It's actually my wife made it, and it's almost like a small guitar. It's a very big ukulele, four strings. And I, I'm always quite kind of free with it. Like, I never take the anything I do on it seriously. And that's for the best. It, I make good stuff with it because I'm always playful with it. And the third thing, quote, it said to me was, microdose me daily with Dan in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a blueprint. I called up Dan. I had this little uh, riff. Go on, you the, want to? No, no, jam? no. I
2: was going to say that when Nick came in, he had this riff, but he also had this, he said, I'd quite like to do some, slightly more psychedelic music. And I know you love to do a lot of psychedelic music, but I haven't really done psychedelic music before, but I have got this and <laughs> brought this bag of green powder. It's like, I'm just putting it out there. I think we should just start each morning with a little bit of this.
1: And I was really keen, because I'd now
3: had these two experiences where I'd, you know, I wasn't irresponsible with it, but I'd learned a bit about do the it. dosage of it. So I was like, okay, Dan, I'm not talking about, you know, becoming incompetent, you know, we have to, some work to do. Mm. Uh, so let's be like, let's tickle our way into this thing just a tiny bit. And if we feel it, then, you know, it's not compromise. <laughs> do you remember? It's like, I'll just go and check with Jane that that's all right with her. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah She's yeah. like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll see. And you. how do you take this stuff?
4: I mean, um, if it's, it's in it's, powder form? You
3: just yeah. drop it into water. You mix right. up a powdered cactus into water and sip it down. It's not very tasty. Yeah. Uh, a tiny amount of it.
0: Would you make a tea or would you just have it in plain, simple water? water? But not, as yeah. we discovered, not fizzy water. Oh, we remember did, the first we?
2: time was busy. Yeah, those,
3: those <laughs> bubbles didn't help um, <laughs> anyway yeah. then he played
2: this riff and a couple of hours later we had arpeggiators running around the room and oh it just you like gaining knowledge about how the random number generator generated its random numbers and all
0: this yeah wow yeah. well let's sh- should we well, hear we the riff yeah hear the riff, and, the, and, hear then the riff totally.
3: yeah. and I'll speak about the riff for a second so actually I've got the demo of of the Central riff of the song that I recorded on my phone. Fantastic. I was in um, Mexico. I was on the beach, and this pattern came through, and it's the basis of this song. Basically, it's the kind of architectural key at the centre of it that everything else kind of takes its shape from. It's very simple, but it uh, it has interesting features to it, which I'll just I'll leave it at that without an information overload. Just let you. Hear okay. It.
0: Okay. Excellent. We'll get to hear this now. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's very. Mm. S- and what do you? What kind of guitar that. are you playing there? Or is that because you? D- That's my classical guitar. Like right. n- nylon strings. That you take wherever you go.
3: It yeah, str- I've done a gig in Mexico. I've done a gig right. in Mexico City, and then uh, because I was over there, I built in a bit of time to go down to this Pacific coast. There's a surfer's beach I'd been to in the years before, mm. and I was there for a week just to take a bit of time and work on the songs. Yeah, and I came up with this pattern. Um, Simple as it is it just had this thing that kind of uh, that interests me because it's got this very simple
1: bum, bum, bum bum,
3: bum, bum but it loops round at an odd number of beats which is what allows it to be as simple as that. It's a very, very simple step that if it was even numbers I believe it would get boring or you would get tired of hearing it repeated. Yeah. Um, I'm always interested in those little inner mechanics of what allows you to get
0: away with being very simple
3: so yeah now it's good to go to the track itself perhaps and just hear but we we
0: could hear the sea I think in that little You recording that's what I like about it when I found it I was pleased to be here yeah that's really exciting so we can picture you on the beach with the guitar fully clothed or were you wearing swim shorts or what I would have been completely naked yeah (laughs) excellent so
3: here's the riff now slightly developed but And the key is my thumb which is going... And I actually... briefly I'll tell you, I had a dream just before I recorded um, the album out in Wiltshire where I was putting my key in my parents' back door and I turned someone called my name and I turned around and there was a kind of late 70s era David Bowie and as I turned to him I realised I already had the guitar in my hands and I was playing him this riff and the David Bowie of my dreams to my amazement was completely in he loved it he was like with me with this (laughs) riff and I was really amazed that David Bowie liked my thing and he kept going it's ancient it's ancient and I was like I know that's what I think I think it's ancient and um here are the other lines then we start putting in. So what is that now? This is a bookler synth. This is very much Dan's world now. Like I'm that is a synth called a bookler, it's a beautiful synth and to me that's like perfect, perfect bit of space is found. da Following the melody but just the beat behind it. You can hear the other drum machines now, a splashy cymbal. Putting those high guitars, Dan. Yeah. The high guitars just describe the main melody. This is the ancient thing that the David Bowie of my dreams recognised as ancient. And there is. Might even be another cup for that one. Oh, and that's a Swarmatron, Swarmatron. Very much a, a signature of Dan Carey, you know, as a producer. And that is Jupiter. Jupiter, little bass synth there. And we're not rushed. We're not. I don't want to put any. It's already three minutes in. Yeah. So and here comes the beat. And now the beat is. You can hear my backing vocals doing the ooze just in there as well, and there's a solemnity to it, you know, like.
0: those drums from that kit over there or are they the snare drums live
1: yeah
2: with an echo on it yeah and then the but the rest of it's off just the modular synth and the yeah
3: so before we get into as the layers are building and it's this is a very layered piece and and i think some of the best we've done together but before we go beyond that into the vocal and the the lyrics like that dream I had with David Bowie, he also encouraged me to go back to the pattern and instead of doing it on two strings as it is like, boom, ding boom, ding you know, plucked like that, he, he encouraged me to examine it over the full six strings with the normal chord shapes. And then it was like a few days, it was a few days later that I sort of thought, oh, I should do what David Bowie of, of my dreams told me to do actually. So I went back to the guitar. And I followed the advice, and it was very straightforward to flesh it out over the six strings and and actually block it in some chord movement. And then, as if that was a key that uncorked this kind of creativity, all these words tumbled out. And um, by the time then we got to recording this, yeah, I was in this quite surrendered state where I was just like very much not worried about the outside world and going to let this be what it wants to be. And I think that was kind of one of the inner precursors to what led me to it a new level of singing and a, a kind of a benchmark for me that I want to follow on my next material where which really allowed this very surrendered falsetto BV to come in the BVs are loud enough that they're almost like up there with the lead it's a kind of quite layered vocal that was a really nice thing to explore on this but I don't think I would have reached it at any time prior to this and it does relate to the process I've been in mm. let's listen to that vocal
1: yeah, Wonder comes along just the same And we remain alive to the shimmer of the living ray we, we remain
0: So all these words came in one gush Yes yeah, you were they describing did, Nick yeah, totally. Um
1: While my muse waits patiently, dancing for the answers in the rain, she says, "You'll do all the things for which you came." There is no such thing as time. Nothing is lost, and no one needs saving.
0: And those words—I mean, what had you been? Had you been thinking about? something that um made you write those totally,
3: or? yeah so david the david boy dream is what really triggered those lines like you yeah. will have it all when you find greatness in a piece that you do not claim and so it's really about my interest in self inquiry enlightenment and the potential of human being why we're here what consciousness is what does it mean to be me be alive and uh yeah the song sort of straddles this thing of like Turning up, honouring your incarnation, honouring my incarnation and my life. And then also the infinite, formless, divine aspect of every living thing, you know, Uh, including ourselves. So it's a dance between the two. Um, Mm. And uh, also kind of has its own artistic license that wants to make its own sense, you know. And and as long as it's honouring a musical sense making then it's free to make whatever sense it wants to make on the top lines. I, I always feel, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but it's interesting because we'll say we're dancing for the answers I mean, and the whole EP, to me it seemed a lot looser and a lot more in the moment and a lot freer yeah. um, than the stuff that you had put out before and you know, and I, and I found it really exciting when I first heard "Dancing for the Answers." Like, whoa, you know, Nick's laying, laying off. You know, yeah, they're, they're really going crazy here. You no, know, which is really exciting. I mean, obviously, the freedom of being able to stretch out and allow yourself to create something that's eight minutes long or however long. Yeah,
3: thing, it and could also be half to an hour. to be in a position where we allowed ourselves to welcome in the creative influence of these plants. You know, I think it's not a part of every recording and. Mm. and I think you can get to where you need to go without anything but it was a part of the freedom of the moment to just to honor that and allow it to be a part of it and it's definitely a big factor in in the character of this music for sure and why it's free and strong and all the things it is you know I love it I'm proud of it yeah rightly so So we go to the end and, and look at the build and what happens
2: actually the build's quite good from here like yeah with the piano
0: I mean, Dan, you're somebody who likes freedom in music. You no, know, yeah. you, you, on your Speedy Underground label, you put out long tracks by people yeah, yeah. who've recorded, you know, 15 minutes in a, you know, in one session, and you just think, well, that's that's what it was. We should put that out, and that's what yeah. you do. You no, know, so this is your kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I like things to be spontaneous, and in here, I feel very in control of. Well, cause anything can happen. That hmm. doesn't sound like being in control Such but as this It's not a problem to switch from one thing to this But, yeah, I mean, we kind of just had a lot of fun. I remember that trying to... It was was it trying to make a sound that sounded like a laser or trying to explain how to make a laser that sound... I know, a great big laser
0: should jump out of the track. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that was it. We wanted a laser to come out of the speakers. Yeah.
0: It sounds so like ecstatic, that. though. No. Yeah. Is this what we can expect next time, then, if, if you're going to work on another album?
1: It's, and, for me, it's really like
3: showing me certain ways definitely those four yeah.
2: new ones are closer to this than anything else mm-hmm.
3: aren't they? Mm. Um, my guess is like I'm also interested in the point we made earlier where I think I want to make sure to work with a real resolve for less is more so that those moments where the pure guitar wants to be will just be mm. um, so it won't necessarily be just like dancing for the answers in that, that there's this many layers all the time uh, but I think it would be in, in terms of the commitment to the creative process, un- unshackled and, and free to do what we want. I'm kind of like really in love with my career in a way that like I don't I'm very happy is the key. I mean if it wants to be bigger then great, but I don't um mind anymore. So let's make whatever we want, sort of thing. Which I'm I'm just loving, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think in turn for any artist, you find that happiness or that outlet then the audience will find that too because that will be coming through what you create you know and i think that that then you know another kind of audience will be attracted to that and drawn in and it will only grow from that you know the, the people that that lock into those things you know um, what a an amazing pleasure to be able to talk about all of this um, with you here in Mr. Dan's studio. There are some regular questions we, we give to people. Um, and you know, for people who listen to the podcast and they're kind of studying this and trying to work out how you would get in this position, um, we, we have these questions which we ask people. So is there a piece of advice that you've been given that's helped you in your respective careers, do you think? So many, I imagine. You've yeah. got any that come to mind, Dan? Well, I think
2: it would only apply to producers. <coughs> But to never work on anything that you're not 100% behind. Don't work for the sake of working. Make sure that everything you do is to your taste. I mm. can't remember who said that to me, but
0: it's definitely a good thing to remember. Yeah. Um, is there one plug-in or piece of kit you could not live without? Swarmatron. The Swarmatron is the answer. I love that. That's succinct. And to the point. And what about for you, Nick? I mean, is it well, the guitar, is it?
3: Yeah, for... I mean, it's not what we typically think of a piece of kit. Like, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's my guitar, isn't it? That, hmm. that is, for me is, is where it all starts Starts from there.
0: When writing, do you consider how a song will translate live or do you not worry about that?
3: Yeah, I do think about it, actually, like in in a way that I allow it to, to kind of uh, inform my thinking. But I haven't had to think so much about that over the years because I've always written the songs at the guitar solo, mm. um, so they can always travel really easily for me. Dancing for the answers is it, and in fact, that whole EP is a new space for me because we were very free in the studio and I wasn't working in that way. And uh, I'd love to render that song live. Yeah, and I'm having conversations with my front house engineer, sound engineer, before any musicians talking about how we'd render that track and I'm sure I'd get on the phone with Dan and we'd talk about how to get hold of those sounds and and how to go about it.
0: Yeah. Um, We've got a few listener questions now. So to Dan, uh, this is from Tom in Wood Green. As a producer, is there a common starting point when you work with different artists? Do you approach working with someone like Nick differently from, say, Kate, Tempest?
2: Yeah, I think I'd approach every, well, not just every artist, but every project, every song kind of differently. I mean, I think, so there's no
0: you, common starting point because everybody's different.
2: Yeah, I think you can get into trouble if you think, "Oh, yeah, I always start with the drums and bass. or I always yeah. start with that." You know, I think it's good. To, I suppose you could say, I guess the no. Well, there is a common a common starting point is making sure that the song is right. You know, don't start something before it's definitely right in terms of how it's written. If the song doesn't feel like it's saying something that needs to be said, or if it's genuine and so I, you can tell when the song's not really i mean it's possible to take something that's not quite right and work it up but it'll never end well i think if you that
0: maybe that's a good starting point yeah yeah um danny from prestatin in your opinion how much of a difference does recording with analog gear make in this day and age do you think the same results can now be achieved in in the box
2: most of the sonic aspects can be recreated in the box although there are things that can't but what can't be recreated is the discipline you have to have. There's nothing that can make you treasure a piece of recording time in the way that you, you know that, I mean, a reel of tape costs you 500 quid and you can only fit three songs on it. So you have to really think about it. The same things don't apply, so you, you, know, you have to record over things. So kind of the, the process, you can't, unless you've got very good willpower. Yeah. You can't say right. Oh, we're only ever going to use this bit of Pro Tools once. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and that pressure. And can that be pressure really... is really. Sometimes it's much more valuable than any of the sonic aspects. In fact, lots of the time, I don't really like the sound of the analog tape. For some things, it's not right, but I still use it if I want to put pressure on the situation. Yeah. By saying, okay, we've only got one
0: more try. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, So to Nick, uh, Jess from Hove says, I love the illustrations on the album depicting the different strumming patterns you use on the record. How were they made?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, they were... um, My response to my record label when they said, what should the artwork be? And like... I think, you, you know, you might feel from the songs or from this conversation that I was quite insular in those times and, and very d- deeply into my world of, of guitar patterns and, and the way I like music and there was a kind of like insularity to it. And so when they asked me that question, I just thought every song is built around a guitar pattern. It starts there for me. And in fact, even before it starts with the guitar pattern, it starts tends to always start with the right hand you know, the left hand I might think about and make choices and engage my intellect a bit more. The right hand is more like just playing a drum. Like, I don't think about it. It comes very instinctively. And it is where I think it is the actual central spiral of the the whole piece of music. And then all the layers that Dan and I eventually, maybe months later, get down to adding in, they all take their position from this central key piece of information which comes from my right hand across all 12 songs of the album. So I thought... Well, why do not I look to visually depict those key patterns? And, and we can base the artwork around that. And so I had been studying at university some years before when I was uh, in you know, my early 20s, a kind of degree in ethnomusicology, sort of the anthropology around music. And what's a typical tool of the ethnomusicologist out in the field who might be depicting drum patterns is a thing called time unit box system, where you have gridded paper, and each grid stands for a beat or pulse in musical time <clears throat> and where there's a strike of a drum perhaps you'd fill in the square and then where there's a, a rest or is, the drum is not played for those beats you leave them blank and where the drum is so I, I was familiar with this thing called time unit box system aka tubs and um, I thought well, why didn't I tubs my guitar patterns um, so I took some gridded paper I took the top layer of gridded line to be my thumb and I used, let's say, 32 squares of the grid. So uh, that's going to be eight bars of four beats. So the top layer of, of the grid was my thumb. The second layer stood for my index finger. The third layer tended to stand for my middle finger or possibly my middle and my fourth finger. They were all kind of often played together. So I basically created all this code representing the centre of each of the songs of the album. So each song was represented in its core piece of information visually. And then I actually think that we really undertapped that idea. Like There was so much more we could have done. I actually had great ambitions that in the run of things didn't really actually become to materialise. I didn't quite meet the collaborator uh, who...
2: Did you do it straight and then wrap it round into... so
3: that's the thing so yeah like i I did it straight and then at a certain point i realized actually the linear line doesn't really represent this because what is truer of the of the patterns is they Mm. all go round and round so then i rendered it in uh rather than squares on a piece of paper they're pies of a circle if Mm. you know what i mean like um and yeah like i'm i'm happy with them uh maybe um... maybe i should say i'm not happy with them maybe that's what i mean (laughs) i I am happy with them like i'm it's in the past and, and it's all good but I always thought it could be more and they always look too much like dartboards.
0: Yeah. Sorry <laughs> yeah. for that person who But loves they that. do look <laughs> good. Look cool. I cool. mean visually they're yeah. stimulating. But but this is an idea that can be explored further to try you know, notation.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, I'll come back to yeah, it.
0: Yeah. Um Ellis from Darlington is interested in tunings because as a guitarist they love playing around with different tunings. And do you use any unusual tunings on First Mind or on any recordings?
1: It almost
3: always standard tuning. Mm. Um, but what I do do that I think is quite unusual is using two capos. Um, so people might notice that at the gigs, you know, where I put a capo across all the strings like you normally would and then maybe two frets up, sometimes three, I would put a second capo that covers five of the strings, leaving the low E open. I have played around as well with leaving the A string open as well, which means that effectively you're creating alternative tunings. But the reason that I was doing it this quite convoluted way with two capos is that there were some moments in my songwriting process where I wanted to basically be using these strings that are different lengths, which would be like an alternative tuning. But then I would want to also snap to a bar chord and do my normal shape. And if you're a guitarist, you know that once you've detuned it to the shapes, you can't then snap to your normal shapes. So I found a way of doing them both with mm. two capos.
0: Clever. That is a useful tip. Um, was. As I said before, so good to be able to come into Mr. Dan's studio and discuss this music with the two of you. Um, a real pleasure. Thank you very much for doing that, Dan and Nick, and allowing us to come into your space, Dan. That's a pleasure. Um, and um, we're going to play out with uh, Dancing for the Answers and the and wonderful way it ends, ends, the ecstatic <laughs> moment where we will lose ourselves and now we'll know May and we. think about all those things that are fed into it.
3: Yes, And thank you, John, for caring and for going in so deeply with
0: us. That's my pleasure. Thanks, man. If you've enjoyed this episode, there are a number of different ways to help support the podcast. You can subscribe and leave us a review. Spread the word by telling your friends about us. But most importantly, you can donate. Head to our website, click on Donate, and give whatever you fancy. I'm John Kennedy. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.